Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hello everyone, welcome to Talk Easy, a weekly podcast around conversations with the people shaping our culture today. I'm Sam Fragoso, and thank you for being here. This week on the show we have revered documentarian Margaret Brown joining us. Born in Mobile, Alabama, Brown broke onto the scene in 2004 with Be Here to Love Me, an intimate chronicling of songwriter Towns Van Sant. The film marked Brown as a true talent a rising star in the emerging Austin film community, alongside folks like David Gordon Green and Jeff Nichols. In fact, it was on Be Here to Love Me that Nichols got his first start in the industry. And Brown hasn't disappointed on that potential. In 2008, she made The Order of Myth, a snapshot of the segregated Mardi Gras celebrations in her hometown. Then, in 2014, her career took a big leap with The Great Invisible, a bruising, powerful documentary around the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Contrary to the Mark Wahlberg action film it recently inspired, Brown's movie is more interested in the aftermath of this tragic event, the shattered lives of those living on the Gulf Coast. Brown's primary interest as a documentarian is always, first and foremost, people. To hear them, to see them, to try to understand them that has never been more evident than in her most recent project about never-Trump supporters for the New York Times. It's a 10-minute short film that shows Brown attending the annual Red State Gathering, which took heat this year for disinviting Donald Trump. Here's a clip. Greg Abbott, Carly Fiorina, Ben Sass, Ken Cuccinelli. We're going to have an all-star lineup of Republicans around the country. One of the reasons why I wanted to create the Red State Gathering so many years ago is to get people off the Internet, face to face. Now, you know, there are lots of things that make me mad about Hillary Clinton. But the thing that makes me maddest of all is when she talks to us all about being a feminist. How many times have we all said, how can people not see this? How can people not see what Barack Obama is doing? How can people not see what's happening to our country? How can you not see we abandoned people in Benghazi? If in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, God created marriage, and we're not allowed to change it. To give some context for the conversation, Brown came by my house earlier this week to do the podcast. We sat in the backyard, which is why you may occasionally hear birds chirping, our dog barking, shout out to Delizia, and other sounds of nature. 
For an hour, Margaret and I lounged outside in the beautiful weather, talking about everything from her love of last-minute unexpected ventures to the business of being a documentary filmmaker to her dream of just getting away from all of this, L.A. especially, and just living a life of surfing. But first, we dive into her intimate experience talking to Glenn Beck and other frightened Republicans at the Red State Gathering. So, finally, here is Margaret Brown. So, the the never Trump. Yeah. How are you feeling? I mean, I feel good about it because I feel like I went in like not knowing what the movie was at all and just knowing that I wanted to see what conservatives were thinking sort of within the party about what's going on. And the response to it has been interesting because like liberals and conservatives are really into the piece mm-hmm. and I haven't gotten trolled like too much by like Trump people. I have gotten some. I saw your Twitter and there were you were retweeting left and right. Oh yeah. Po- well, that's posts. the point, like, wow. right? Yeah. Um, well, I think that's the most interesting way to approach it. It's just like the, f- the film's about like talking to each other instead of just like picking your corner and staying in it and clo- like being like, ah, like I'm not listening to any other ideas. So, Do you think that happens more on the left or the right? I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm pretty guilty of it too, but I also feel like I actually just got into like some kind of stupid like social media war this morning with yes. somebody. Okay, tell what happened. Well, like, you know, it was like someone was forwarding me. Like, you know, I made a film about voting rights and I did my homework and, you know, I, I don't know, like everyone's like, Margaret, you get too wrapped up in these social media wars but i am fascinated by especially people who don't agree with me i'm always fascinated by their response right you know there's nothing wrong with that so what what was the person saying he was just he was just um it was a guy guy, of course (laughs) um no it's i've i've actually like i don't think it's ever been the case that a woman has has taped like it's really interesting i mean i've definitely gotten some um there's been some responses from women but they don't they don't want to they don't want to continually state their position in opposition to you over and over. But I, I, um, so basically it was just like he was, it's, it's sort of along the, this is a Trump supporter and it's kind of along the lines of, um, the election. There's going to be, you know, there's going to be fraud in this election right, and, right. and forwarding me some, um, an, uh, some video that proved it or something. And I was like, you know, I made a movie about voter fraud. And then I, and then like, I feel sort of bad saying that because like, who has the resources to go make a movie every time they want to interrogate an idea that they have? <laughs> Not many people, but at the same time, that does allow you. I mean, I spent months of my life researching facts. So mm. I feel like I do have a basis to, to speak from. Is that your career now? What? Where you can interrogate any idea you have? Not any idea, but um, definitely not. And I don't think that would be interesting at all. But um, if but it's like yeah, if every whim, yeah. whim amounted to a movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like you know, um, I've made a few movies now, so I think you know, um, especially in like the political realm, it seems like people are letting me do that some, but um, or I'm allowing myself to do that some, but. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I definitely feel I get, I get like, I think it like a little bit gets under my skin when someone is going to interrogate something that I've spent a lot of time like thinking, well, am I, am I thinking about this fairly? Am I representing this? Am I, am I just letting my liberal bias like take me somewhere that isn't factual? Like, I mean, I definitely want to be factual, Mm. but I mean, actually I don't necessarily want to be factual in terms of like the way my films are presented or, or how how they flow or how they feel, but in terms of like the foundational, if they do have a, if, I mean, if something is about voting rights, I think you owe it <laughs> to your audience. If the film is, is in any way, you know, presenting facts that they're correct. Right. And that's the, the bare minimum requirement. Yeah, sure. But I also think like, you know, a film is a film and it's it's art or whatever and so um that doesn't mean it has to be presented in a dry or boring way right yeah well it seems like you're getting upset about someone p- 
putting 140 characters together that <laughs> well like you're, you're, you're not going to get nuance there yeah well actually it was on facebook oh. not twitter oh, so, so there's more nuance there's more characters but <laughs> but um but yeah i mean i think there's well, so this um, is a friend of yours not really i mean just a you know you don't have a facebook friend right. but um but but someone i know someone i've met you know um, and I mean, I'm, hey, I'm from Alabama. Like, like, I'm, I know a lot of Trump supporters. Right. Um, you know, Isn't that, that's what initially piqued your curiosity about this whole thing, right? I mean, you had folks back home who were. Well, yeah, like there are people in my own family who are pro Trump who are educated, um, you know, Jews. And I'm like, why are you? I don't understand. And so I think like just this sort of. I wouldn't necessarily call it a war or a battle. And I think um, a lot of these people have gone silent. The people who were in my family who were supporting him, because I think like that was sort of earlier before he turned out to really show his true colors. And, and, you know, I mean, I feel I, I will maintain that he was showing his true colors all along, but I think it took longer for some people. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not getting the fight back that I have, um, that I was a few months ago. Mm-hmm. What did you learn doing that deep dive into this faction like so, um, so, the, so you mean the anti-trump republicans yeah, the anti- so set up the scene for people who okay sure seen it. so about when about uh, around the rnc i was talking to the new york times about possibly going to the rnc and covering it and just sort of um looking at what was going on but then it was it's really expensive to go to the rnc it was very last minute when we kind of pulled this whole idea together and um, the New York Times um, was already covering it. So the op doc section of the New York Times is kind of independent filmmakers who come to the Times and do short pieces. And so Kathleen Lingo, who um, runs op docs, just ca- kind of stayed in touch with me and was like, hey, there's this um, gathering of conservatives, annual gathering called Red State. And um you know, and we just continue to talk about like what was going on and we were both really interested in the whole like, you know, the schism in the party, in the Republican Party. And um, Kathleen was like, you might want to check out this website. Like um, these, they uninvited Megyn Kelly to their, I mean, sorry, they uninvited Donald Trump to their gathering last year when he said those things about Megyn Kelly. And so, and um, and she knew a little bit about Eric Erickson and she knew that he'd been kind of, targeted by some hardcore Trump folks mm. in a sort of semi-violent way. And she was like, you might want to look into this. So I read some of the stuff she sent me and I just started to get really curious and thought, well, yeah, that could be a really interesting piece because there's nothing really like this in the, in the, in the I mean, there's like a list on the times about different, you know, Republicans who were withdrawing their support from Trump. But there's not like a film, no, you know? So I was like, yeah, I want to go and see what we get. And, we didn't really get the green light to do the film until half a day before the convention started. So now, how do you how <laughs> like it was hard walking yeah. through your headspace, <laughs> my at, headspace, at, like the day before, not knowing like where are you? Are you here in L.A.? I was in L.A. and um and you la- you, you laugh <laughs> when I said headspace. Yeah, because I have there's an app called Headspace for meditation that I do. I just started it. Really, it's really good. Yeah, it is. yeah, I've been doing it for like a year, and um, it's great. Um, so yeah, I think I hear Headspace and I think about my meditation practice and That's, Andy Puttacombe and his very soothing voice. He's a very nice voice. Yeah, he does. It's weird. I wish they sponsored the podcast. <laughs> I know. No, I know. He is, he's very soothing. Um, yeah, no, I love that. I love that app. Anyway, it's a plug, <laughs> plug for Headspace on your podcast. But, um, but yeah, probably you said it because you were thinking of the app. The you word headspace. So? Yeah, I mean, do you think do you think you used the word headspace as much before you started using that app? Maybe not. I don't. I know I didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, you're probably onto something. Uh, but like, what is your thought process? We'll change up the. Okay, my thought process. Um, like, are you are you worried or frantic? You, I always feel like yeah. you have things. Me? You well, feel it, that way? Oh yeah, my gosh! I'm like, yeah, I think so. Okay, well, it could be all the headspace, but um, <laughs> but I no, I I think the issue was well, I was I'm I'm making another film right now, and I knew I didn't really like in in a, if I was thinking clearly, I didn't really have enough time to fly to Denver with half a day to prep it. Although I had, I even though I knew that we might not get the money, I had told um some people that I normally work with a. a 
like a researcher slash producer in Alabama that I work with, like I have worked with on and off for years now. I just said, Hey, like, can you just start working on this? I'll pay you if we don't get the money like out of my own pocket. Just like, Mm -hmm. so he had gone ahead and he'd been calling people and trying to see like, it turns out not many of the people who were actually in the movie, but just making sure we could talk to someone when we got to the red state gathering. Um, because I mean, with all of this, like if you don't set up stuff really in advance, you don't know what you're going to get. It's just like, it's kind of like you just pray, you know, mm-hmm. or, or just hope it's going to be good. <laughs> so, but I mean, I, you know, that's part of what documentary is. So I guess I am kind of comfortable and or excited by that because you really have to think on your feet. And I lo- I love that. That's probably why I make documentaries is because that like wake up in the morning and, and you really have to, you know, figure out a puzzle every single day is, is fun. Mm. So you fly we flew to Denver. Yeah. Last second, you land, and who's the first person you talk to? I'm trying to think. Well, it's me and and Jeff Pichot, the DP slash producer, slash he also composed the score for this piece. Um, I mean, I think we just like sort of landed and got our credentials and we shot we shot some of the I think we shot Glenn Beck first. Like Mm -hmm. Glenn Beck on stage doing the keynote speech was probably the first thing we filmed. Where you asked the question from the That was actually a press junket. Um oh you know what? That was the first maybe the first thing we filmed because he was doing that press junket beforehand. And he was the star of that function, right? Yeah, he was the keynote speaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um and so yeah, I asked him some questions of the press junket and um and then after I went up to him and said, Hey, like, I would love to do an interview with me and he, with you. And, um, and he, he was, he said yes. So we yeah. got the interview. Did you think that was going to be harder to get that interview? Yes, I did think it would be really hard. But I think he liked my questions that I asked in the press junket. So mm-hmm. he was amenable to, to doing, um, the, the, he told me I asked sensitive questions. Sensitive questions. That's mm-hmm. good. He's a sensitive guy. <laughs> uh, going into that, or, or maybe with some hindsight, did you find a particularly moving um, interaction with someone? Yeah. Well, Leon Wolf, who started crying or tearing up when he started talking about how Trump had made fun of the disabled reporter, mm. he was he was just and, – and I asked him afterward, I said, is there someone in your family that is disabled? And he said, no, it just like really – it's, uh, he said, I don't know what it is. It just it just really upsets me that that people could could get behind someone who would act like that, who who would he just was very upset by it. Mm. But so yeah, I think I mean actually the whole crew was really um, after Leon's interview they were like whoa, everyone noticed that worked. Well, not that it worked, just more like this man is really like really really doesn't like Donald Trump. Mm. Was it as easy? For you to extend empathy? Yeah. Hmm? I mean, there are human beings, you know, like um, I definitely don't agree with with a lot of the fundamental things that they believe. But the thing that struck me with these people was that I felt like it wasn't some kind of I, I felt like they believe it, you know, and and you can have a conversation about it and and it's not going it, to I didn't feel like I was in a situation where it was devolving into like, well, I believe this and I believe this and, you know, fuck you. It was definitely like cordial. And um, and I felt like, well, you know, in my own life, you don't really get anywhere when you just stay in your corner. Mm-hmm. There's always compromise. And maybe I'm just getting older, but I feel like I don't think so. I don't think it's age. I mean, I think I think it's just like, how do you like, you know, our, our, our there's you know, there's a lot of in politics right now in Washington. There's a lot of stalemate. And and um, I think there's some soul searching going on in the Republican Party. Like, how did we get to this point? How did we contribute to where we're at? I think it's long overdue, but at least it's happening. And if that makes Glenn Beck want to reach out and talk to someone like me, then great yeah you think there's more compromise with age or you you think um i don't know i mean i don't think i'm necessarily more compromising like in terms of of how i live my life but i think i sort of maybe with experience and years like see what works and Mm -hmm. that like if you're just like i like holding your ears and yelling (laughs) like and not listening to anyone like nothing happens and you kind of are stunned as an individual so i think even if you don't agree with someone like hear them out you might learn something were you doing that at some point um me oh this is like a therapy session um 
Yeah, sure. But no, I don't, I mean, I guess. Yeah. I, I think, like, I, I think, I think a lot when I'm talking. I mean, I think if I hadn't been a filmmaker, I would have been a therapist. Like, I'm fascinated by, um, psychology and how people think and why they think things. And, um, I think that's what makes your documentary so good. I think that's, you're like very attuned to human behavior. Well, I find it fascinating. And, um, and, uh, you look like surprised when I said that. Oh, I did? Well, I'm wearing yeah. sunglasses. How can you even tell? Well, like, I can see through the, the <laughs> they're not like, polarized. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, they're like a cheap sunglasses from a film festival that probably cost like 99 cents to make. <laughs> but yeah, like you've, when, when did you start becoming very interested in human behavior? Um, I mean, I guess always. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That's a deep dive, man. I don't know. <laughs> you, you, you want that final answer? I, I mean, I'm trying to think. Teenager, but you remember we talked about you, didn't you feel introverted as a teenager? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But that doesn't mean I wasn't interested in human behavior then. I mean, I think, um, I think when I started like writing creatively in high school, I probably started thinking about it then. Mm. Talk, I want to go into the deep water horizon, great invisible, sure. all of that. Sure, sure. In regards to approaching subjects, that one hit more close to home, right? Yeah. So how, where's like the line between like making a movie and then just outright compassion or is there no difference? Well, I don't understand your question. Well, like you, there's no world. I don't know. Like, I think you, uh, the movie does a good job of being an honest account of your experiences, but it very easily could have been painting an unfair, I think, sort of stilted portrait. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Sure, sure, yeah. It was a very prestigious job to work on the Deepwater Horizon. How's my room? 338. It was an outstanding rig because of the crew that was on it. We were all up on the front here when everything happened. Every one of the rig's defenses failed. There were things that were done to save time and save money. Translation started eliminating positions. When the decision was made to cut corners, it's putting them at increased risk. We were behind schedule, so it's starting to cost them a lot of money. They knew the hydraulics weren't working. They knew that there was rubber in the mud that was coming back up. That tells you something. I think like when you're when you talk to someone, like no matter who they are, whether they're the head of BP or someone who is on the rig who has PTSD or um, someone who has really, you know, wasn't anywhere near the oil spill and thinks it's all over. You have to just sort of talk to them like, like, and just listen, you know, and to, to get at any kind of truth, you can't like, cause people sense that like, and they, they feel you just like you're having a conversation with anybody, you know? And so you have to just be like, I mean, actually, yeah, you have to just have maintain a state of openness or maybe the, the your like premeditated thought like comes through and you don't allow what they feel mm-hmm. to come through. So you're like kind of polluting it too much with your thing. Not to say that like I'm not the director and I don't, you know, to use the word pollute again, like pollute my ideas all through it. But I think in that moment when you're when you're having uh, this like conversation with someone that is a connection um you have to let them you know allow them to like because they're reading cues off you all the time Mm -hmm. so you know you have to let them feel safe i guess yeah and you make people feel safe i don't know if i do i think it depends on who i'm interviewing and why and how yeah but in that situation i'm thinking about like the survivors who are on the rig, who are dealing... I mean, yeah, you have to tailor it to each interview and think about, well, who am I talking to and, you know, what's my job today? Right. The BP oil people, I always thought, like, it's very impressive that you are man- you managed to get so much out of them. Just, what do you mean the BP oil people? Well, like the oil executives of But those aren't from BP, those they guys. Are, they, where, were, where, were they, where were they from? They were... Um, they're just, like, independent guys. They were, who, they were retired, They're not, like, right? the... No, they weren't retired. No, um, they still. One of them changed jobs, but they're all still working oil. Mm. Yeah, they all still work in energy in some fashion, but um, but they don't work for those kind of like larger integrated multinational companies. I mean, some of them, but they're not like working for Shell or 
or like BP, but they, so I think they felt like freer to talk. I right. mean, I only spoke to people from BP like after the movie was over. They didn't speak to me while during while the film. No, they refused to. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you ever find it hard to distance? Uh, like it, it's impossible for you to not have your ideas come through about someone talking to them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, but I mean, I think like, I, I, it's so like to, t- to talk about it without being specific is really hard for me because I think it depends like on the situation and who you're talking to and what the job is in that moment. Like if you're going to talk about those oil guys, like the job is to just, I mean, that, that job, they were all like friends for over 20 years. And so it's really the job there is to get them going where they feel comfortable and they're enjoying themselves and you kind of get out of the way. Mm. And, and then if they are getting off topic to sort of steer them back to like, you know, what a, in that, in that scene, it was like, what, what, um, what do you understand about energy in America that most Americans don't? That was what I kept bringing them back to. And if there's a story that illustrates that, but, and it was just making them feel comfortable and not like, you know, but I think they did feel comfortable because again, to get that interview, a lot of these guys I had, had beers with over a period of years, like, or at least the ones who like brought everyone together. So Mm. they knew what I was about. They knew who I was. So it's like a lot of my job is putting in time with people. So they know who I am as a person. Mm. What were you about on that project? Um, what was I about? That's a very broad question. That's what you, you said. They knew what you were about. So I'm just thinking. Oh, oh, I see. I see. So I'm Sorry. Just think, I'm thinking like, oh, what is, I wonder what. I mean, I think they just knew me as a person and they, they, they liked me. Mm. It's just that simple. Like they liked me. Did you feel the film had, uh, we, I think we talked about this when we first mm-hmm. met, but, um, the line between like you, you want your movie to, to make some sort of mark. Yeah. And so the sort of film versus activism type conversation is something you've you've discussed a lot. Sure. I mean, I think like, I, well, it's just a personal taste thing, really. I don't like films that tell you what to think mm. ever. Like those aren't films that I generally like, so I'm not going to make one. Um, I think that's, I think this coffee is making me more strident. <laughs> um, maybe not. Do I sound strident? A little strident? Well, like, ver- like how we generally talk? Yeah. I think I, st- I there's caffeine in this. It's a little more strident. Oh man, I thought this was supposed to be decaf. No, no, it is. Mm. Yeah. Maybe it's the previous caffeine I had. I don't know. It's okay. It's all right. Okay. There's no judgment here. Okay. <laughs> I did notice that you are more strident. Mm-hmm. Though. I'm feeling really strident. Why is that? I think it's because um, I'm thinking about everything I have to do after this today, and there's I have to like I have to shoot today, and I have to go see my accountant, and both those things stress me out. Mm. <laughs> I feel that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I actually wanted to talk about that very thing. Um, you are crazy busy, and you have a lot on your plate. Where, like, how are you managing on a day to day? Do to feel okay about like life? Life. And do you get? You mean you I make get, lists? Work, you make lists? Yeah, like I, I haven't made one yet today, which is maybe why I feel anxious. But I just make lists of like what I need to do and. I really enjoy crossing things off. It alleviates my anxiety. Is that what you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Lists are great. Yeah. I don't know why they're so helpful. <laughs> it makes no sense to me. It's just, it's nice to see something and to feel yes. some sense of accomplishment. Totally. It's like a grade school thing. I know. Well, I think it's also that filmmaking is like this never ending process. Yeah. And, um, like, then that's why I really enjoyed making the Never Trump short too, because like, I did everything in two months, which on a feature, it's just like it could be a year or a little bit less than a year to like, who knows, like six and a half years. Mm. So there's something really nice about making something um, that's more, sh- you know, it's right. like, it's like, like making, you know, making a short film is almost like folding your laundry. Like, you know, there's, it's, you're going to fold clear it beginning and put it and away. End. Yes. And I like that. A nice sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. But you think you hit on something interesting, which is like, Theoretically, given your job, there's really no day you are not working in some capacity. Like, it's yeah. going to be really hard for you to not. Cause, like, no, work- not really. No? I can totally shut it off. Can you? Oh, yeah. But even, it- what about like when you're hanging out with friends and you shut your phone off? I don't do that when I'm like in work mode, but like when I go on vacation, which I haven't done in a really long time, I can really unplug. I can even like, I can forget everything. I can just like, really? yeah. 
definitely. It takes a while, but and How then I'm do like, why so... do I make movies? Why don't I just stay on this beach and surf every day? Then I can totally like question everything. It just feels like a different life. Mm. It feels totally separate. Why don't you do that? I'm planning on it. Let's see if let's see if we get there. But yeah, I'm is that on is that it. the end goal of like? No, it's not the end goal, but it's like I just know that I need to shut off sometime and like forget that I make films. Mm. How many years has it, has it been of like leading to that? Leading to what? Just like a time for a break. When did you st- first start feeling like there was a lot going on? I mean, I think I feel it on and off all the time. Like, but I mean, I am really enjoy. I really enjoyed making the Never Trump piece. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's it's totally fascinating to me. Um, the editor Robin Schwartz and I like it was like a a kind of a joy to work on it every day because the material was so fascinating. Um, it's viewpoints that are really different from my own, yet there was some common ground as well. And I felt like the characters were empathetic in ways that were sort of shocking. I thought it would be shocking when people watched it. So and and it does seem to be working in that way, like. The, the kind of response I'm getting where people are like, I never thought I'd say this, but I have total empathy now for Glenn Beck, people who hate him. So, I mean, that wasn't my goal. Like, mm. I wasn't like, I'm going to make a film that makes people love Glenn Beck. <laughs> that's not my goal. But if that's what happens, if people can open their minds enough to change their mind about something, it's interesting psychologically. It is. I keep thinking about why it, it's so hard for people to be empathetic. To the, the other side. Yeah, I don't, I really, I, and I don't mean that glibly or like, I, yeah. I, I fundamentally don't, I don't get it. Cause I feel like I'm constantly mm-hmm. trying to grapple with other people and um, understand in some capacity. I don't know. All I know is there's something about this piece where that's the response I get, um, from the left at least is mm. like, like, I needed this or, and and I'm not even sure what happened or why. Like, I'm still thinking about it. Like, why this little 10-minute thing we made for no money, um, why, what's, what's, and what is the thing that made it so fun to edit? So there's something, maybe I'll know in a few months, but, but it's interesting. I think it's interesting because it's, it feels, feels weirdly sincere mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In, a, in a sort of marketplace built on insincerity. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. I feel like you're genuinely curious yeah. and that you weren't judging them too bad, too harshly. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like we would listen to some of their speeches and, and Jeff would be like, I can't even listen to this. You have to shoot this. I'm leaving the room. Like this is disgusting, you know, but at the same time, like, you know, you can listen to that and think like, wow, this guy like really hates gay people. Like, you know, I don't know if he hates them, but he thinks God hates them and therefore he is not going to, and just be disgusted by it and, and be like, how is that? Not that I'm necessarily believe in God, but just how is, how can you call yourself religious and, and not mm. love? I don't know everybody, but, um, especially someone, I don't know. Anyway, it was hard to listen to, but then turn around and, and just listen to them in an interview scenario. I'm talking about Eric Erickson and, um, and, uh, and be like, wow. Like at the time I didn't know this, but him and his wife both have cancer and these Trump supporters have been like terrorizing their family. These two people with cancer, you know, and I just think it's I don't know. So, of course, I feel compassion for him. I felt compassion for him when he was telling me, um, uh, you know, even before I knew about the cancer that like he had made a stand about Megyn Kelly because he believed in something and he'd gotten um Look how, look how he got rewarded, you know, by like being terrorized, having his kids yelled at in the supermarket. Like, mm. what kind of psychological stuff is that that make these Trump supporters act that way? You know, um, my mom and I have talked about it a lot because of in Alabama where that's where the Trump, um, that's where the Trump like campaign started was in Mobile, Alabama. Oh, that's, really? that was, yeah, where I'm from. And, um, and my mom, I remember when, I mean, I think back when it started, no one took him as seriously. And my mom was like, yeah, everyone says who went. It was like a three-wing circus. And, and he flew over the stadium beforehand in his plane. And people went because it was a show. And it's, it's like, like reality. Te- yeah. And people were so into it, you know. And so it was like kind of funny. And then it doesn't stay funny for long, you know. Yeah. 
And then she was just like disgusted with her friends who were sending her like clips that, you know, had been totally disproved about, you know, Hillary Clinton laughing when this, you know, I'm forgetting exactly, but when that girl, yeah, Trump brought yeah. it up in his speech and in, in, the, in the debate when he brought up the girl that, you know, Hillary Clinton laughed because she got his rapist off. Like that is not what happened. If you dig like a centimeter deeper into that story yeah. and the fact that, that he brings that up in his debate, I find that disgusting. It's, it's astonishing. And I was talking to someone and we were trying to figure out like what, what would be a sort of 21st century way to have a debate? And I think if you just had like a little ticker at the bottom mm-hmm. that, that said like that read the comments that processed yeah. like, what Donald and Hillary said. Right. And then ran them through that quick NPR right. fact checker, whatever right. fact checker, one that felt neutral. Right. And then not, like the ticker would be like, I would even take a fox, a fox fact checker because i feel like that's fine that's yeah fine i would too, take yeah. that like it, it still it would be some kind of because i mean i f- feel like like it, there are in, inalienable facts is inalienable the right word there are facts here and and yeah, i would take right, right. anything that would you know um that would like hold his feet to the fire that he can just say whatever he wants right do you remember do you remember in the debate uh from it was 20 it was the last election with romney and um and obama mm-hmm that one of the moderators made a correction in real time. Do you, oh, really? Do you remember that? I don't remember. Or maybe, I mean, I watched all of it, but I don't remember she that. She made a minor, very minor correction in real time. Yeah. A, a, a Romney correction. Mm-hmm. And people flipped out. People were like, oh, they have no, she has no right to do right. that. She's a moderator. How right. dare she? And I just think, like, we would rather have people be up there yeah. just lying because they can they can get away with it yeah then have real-time fact-checking oh my god it's so infuriating because like the everyone my mom says well everyone in alabama says if anyone in the press says anything they call it the liberal media like we're all the same you know like 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 there aren't like there aren't actual people you know they're this like entity it's so ridiculous Hmm. but um but you know yeah i i think i think i think about that a lot i think like historically I wonder if those moderators are thinking about 30 years from now, the way people will look at it then. Like, will they look back and say, this person did not stand up for the truth? I bet that's what they're thinking. And I bet that's why they sometimes say things, because she just sort of sit there and be like, that person's lying and right. not be able to correct them. I mean, I felt like um, the last two moderators, Anderson Cooper, and I can't remember that woman's name. Like, I liked it that they kind of... Martha Raddatz. Yes. Okay. I liked it that... Because I just think like... You know, who's to say that their job is to is to not stand up if someone's lying? I mean, I don't know. How are we defining what a yeah. moderator does? Well, they, and then they end up taking a very sort of complicit role. And mm-hmm. that's the danger. Yeah, that is the danger. I want someone. Well, isn't the next debate on Fox? So I think that'll be interesting. So it's by uh, Chris Wallace, who's always been the like. Isn't he? A, is he on Fox now? He is. He is on Fox. Yeah, he's on Fox. And um his, I think he just his, retweeted me. Oh, really? Yeah, I think he just retweeted. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, so his dad was the 60 Minutes guy. Okay. Um, that they made. Remember that? That remember the Russell Crowe movie, uh, The Insider? I love that movie. Yeah. Well, that's his. Remember uh, what's his name plays? Oh wow! How so, cool! Wallace's dad. So Chris Wallace is always like the smart Republican on Fox News. Uh-huh. I don't know if you ever saw like John Stewart. He would go on that like his show and they would mm-hmm. debate. Republicans are going to have no place to complain about yeah. the moderator this time. Yeah, I'm glad it's the third one, you know, like, yeah. Didn't you see, like, Obama said today, like, Trump quit whining about, yeah. like, oh, I love that. I got that. a New York Times push update. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's how I saw you it, You wake up to those things. Yeah, I love that he used the word whining, because I feel like, I don't know, I mean, I think, like, when when Hillary said, like, they go they go low we go high i agree but i also think like i also hate that i honestly really i i don't i think you should be um yes to a degree yeah that should be the approach but at a certain point i don't think it i don't think you're rolling in the mud to just be like call it like it is yeah just be like oh no this person's lying i would love for her to go on stage she does though she does she, say she he's does, lying but i i don't you like, think she should be more aggressive i think i don't like I'm, i don't want her to promote her website anymore <laughs> that i don't really like right I, nothing wrong with it i think like it's good that they're fact checking right but wouldn't you like it if she just said no 
we're not going to take this. This is just you're lying. But I feel like she does do that. Like, I feel like she does. What more can she do? He's just lobbing it at her as fast as I mean, I would not want her job right now. No, I, she has the most. Yeah, I'm giving her like it's yeah. the most. Un, you know, I mean, it's just like, like it's the worst. I mean, she's like. God, from every angle, from her own, I mean, from, not that I, look, I didn't even vote for her in the primary, but like, I, I definitely have gotten more respect for her to see how she's handled the situation. I, I, Are you a Bernie fan? Yeah. But like, I, I, um, I think she's handled it so well. Cause I just, I think she gets it from everywhere and she keeps going. Like what Donald Trump said, like, you're a fighter. Like, yeah, she's a fighter. And yeah. I, I, you know, I, I what an interesting that. compliment to give. I know. I thought it was really cool, actually. I it, thought that was a great way to end that debate because really they both was. were really. It was a mo- another moment where you're like, "Wow, they are human beings. Yeah, they're not like robots. Well, not that Trump is really a robot. No, he's not. He's a yeah. he's something else. Yeah, something else. The the that was the best question of the night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it was though. You did. I do wonder, like, with the whole Kenneth Bone thing. Mm-hmm. Like, how are those people undecided voters? I don't think they really are. You don't think so? No. Is it just like a TV move? Who knows? I just was like, it just, yeah. I don't mm. know. I don't know what I think about that. I, I feel like that that forum was, like, also, like, at this point, like, I feel like undecided voters are idiots. Like, yeah, really? That, what? You're undecided? Like, what more do you need in one way or the other? Yeah, what more evidence could there possibly <laughs> yeah. be? I know. I mean, maybe someone who's, like, been, you know, on, like, a Buddhist retreat for a year where they don't read the news. Those are the only people but I would listen to. A Buddhist retreat? <laughs> yeah. That sounds kind of nice. You should do it. That well, That goes back to, like, the thing we <laughs> talked about last time, which is... Like those things sound nice, and like your idea of going surfing sounds mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, but like the wheels are spinning. Right, the wheels do spin. Yeah. And at what point are you like? I think this is turning out to be more about what you want. Like, why? Why do you keep coming back to that? Why? Why do you mean? Oh, come on. How do you mean? You are. You are. What are you? What you? I mean, I think you're. You're interested in this idea of of like work <laughs> versus like work work life balance. Yeah. Well, yeah. we had that Why, conversation last time. But you bring it up every time, so I'm just curious. <laughs> I didn't bring it up. I mean, you are the interviewer. Um, you know what? No, you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. This is this is a good observation on your part. I think I bring it up to you because I find you particularly admirable. Like, admirable. I, yeah, because I think you. I, I admire how much how hard you work, how many different projects you seem to be juggling at all times, and secondarily, I, I like. That you don't seem miserable. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, part of that is an act. It was um, an act? I mean, not an act, but like, I mean, I definitely have mood swings. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think, well, I think, you know, um, I think I'm at a point in my life where I, well, it's not even a point in my life. I like doing things that matter to me. And I think when I get to do things that matter to me, it makes me happy. Mm. And I'm glad I could contribute to the conversation in however small way about what's going on. And this is a, a crazy political moment. And the fact that I was given a platform of the New York Times to be a part of it, I feel like really humbled and grateful that yeah. like I get to do that. So yeah, I think probably a lot of what you're sensing maybe comes from being part of a conversation that I, you know, I think is important. Grateful. Yeah, grateful. Mm. Absolutely. How, where does the business side of that take place? Because I think a lot of people who listen to the show or like, I know a lot of friends who yeah. want to be, you know, you're trying to get into documentary. They're at film school. Yeah, yeah. And where does that play <laughs> in to like, get, what are the economics of that? Because I've talked <laughs> well, to, we've had like, you know, doing, doing, and like, yeah, sure. About all that. Sure, sure. Yeah, I know them. Um, well, I mean, doing a, a short film is not a brave economic move or does not make you any money. Um, <laughs> you're not rich now? No, ah. I'm not. Um, but I think that, yeah, I, I, I kind of just did it because I, that was not, that's not how I make my money. Mm. Like, um, I mean, I didn't, I didn't like, I like, probably just broke even on that like just i don't even i probably lost money making that but i just had to do it it was yeah. a compulsion it's like how do you even estimate breaking even though like the time spent time ver- spent versus yeah you have like an yeah. hour breakdown or like- no i don't do that i can just i just i just sort of like think well what is my like what what do i think my time is worth in a month and i definitely lost money making mm-hmm. that definitely but i had to do it it wasn't a choice 
um, I couldn't, I don't think I could live my th- with myself if I was given that opportunity. And we're like, no, I got to go like do a commercial this month. Right. You know, not that I'm doing a lot of commercials, but, um, you know, I'm doing some stuff that's more commercial in nature and that's more of what pays the bills. Um, and features are, you get more money for that if you, if you negotiate well. Mm-hmm. Is it, do you ever feel that it's, it becomes more business than, filmmaking no i mean i i I try very hard not to do that but i think that i always tell people like if you're going to be a filmmaker like go to business take take a business class like learn how to balance your checkbook um you know understand how to make a budget if you don't get a producer you completely trust to do that and understand how it works did you take a business class no i didn't but i've learned how to make i've learned i learned Mm -hmm. the hard way like i learned by making movies and and I think it's incre- – I cannot even – I cannot stress enough how important it is to like be – have some business savvy. Anyone who's like, I'm just an artist is not going to get to make their art and right. be a filmmaker. Like you just don't get to. like, go- Or you're independently wealthy, which a lot of filmmakers are. Mm, that's a hard thing for people to hear though. That, it's like, just the truth. Because people want to be – they just want to be a, a I feel like that's a very artist. immature approach. Mm. Like – and not even an immature age way, just like, it's just kind of, it's kind of like this male myth of the artist, like, yeah, go do that, good luck. Mm. I feel like it's a very, I feel like you hear that from men more often. Than women. You know, because, well, I think because it's a male myth, I think because, like, you know, I made a movie about Towns Van Zandt, and that's the male myth, that you can just be this, like, creative force, and it's a lot of, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors, mm. I think. And you don't have that luxury? Um. Well, I mean, I do think now I get to make stuff, and... And I do, but I don't think I spend, my life is not expensive, you know? Um, and I also like, I mean, I'm not independently wealthy, but, you know, I do have parents that if I were to like really like drop out, I could ask for help. It's a backup. Not everyone has that. It's a backup. Yeah. And, um, I have that same thing and I, I often, I mean, but how few people have that, you know? So no, maybe I, know, I am independently I wealthy because I do have a backup. But that's not how I. Well, there's something in your subconscious. Yeah, where that like, knows you have you, a place to fall. Right. Yeah, you can always like move back home, and like hide from the world for six months or a year if you have to. Yeah. I don't, not everyone has a lot of people. Most people don't have that, so we're no. really lucky. We're so lucky. So but don't lucky. you think it, it, there's like two different roads you can go on, which is like you can either remain stagnant and knowing that you just keep yeah. continue falling back and doing. Yeah. You kind of underachieve. Right. Or you're like, no, since I do have that, I'm so fortunate. I have to really overachieve and do more. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I feel either of those. No? No. You're somewhere in between. Yeah, I don't even know if I think about it that way. I think it's more just like, I don't know how I think about it. I think I just like make things and don't think about it. Because I think if I thought about it too much, I wouldn't make things. That's good. You know? Cause I, I, I feel like that kind of that kind of thought to me personally is paralyzing. Ah. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. For me, it's like, I feel guilt. Really? I feel guilt if I didn't do something of value. Yeah. That could be because you're half my age. <laughs> could be. You just still, you're, you know, we almost went the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one knows what we look like without you mentioning. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Okay. Last question. Then let's get out of here. Yeah. Um, Did you not want me to bring that up? No, everyone always does. <laughs> Last week, Kelly Reichard made fun of the same thing. <laughs> uh, it, it always comes up. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're, you like, you've done some, I mean, it's amazing how old you are. And I think it's like, it'd be, it would be remiss if someone knows your age not to bring up, like, mm. the fact that you're worried about that. Like, I think when I was 20, what? 22. 22. Just turned 22, just right? Just turned 22. So, like, like, if I, man, I was just, like, waiting tables and, like, goofing off. I wasn't yeah. doing anything. I'm doing plenty of goofing off. I'm sure you are, but you're not. <laughs> you're, you're, look at you. Like, you've got a whole, this is professional. This is professional. Yeah. You're sitting out here. I wasn't even, yeah. Like, I was like a, I was like a, a non-human, I think, at that a point. A non, yeah, I think that's yeah. exactly how you described yourself <laughs> when we had breakfast, like, three weeks ago. I remember you saying, I was like a non-human. I'm like, God, that's amazing. I was. That's a great you're, you're, a, you're a fully formed human. Oh, no, I'm, I'm like half. I'm getting. Okay. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm working. Okay. I'm working well, you it. put up a good front. Yeah. Being oh, a human. thanks. But yeah. that's what these conver- I think that's what these conversations are. Is like me. You becoming a human? I think so. This is what this is. I thought it was an interview. <laughs> it's me becoming human. Because it works through- on many levels. Yeah. yeah sir. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um. What was I going to ask you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, last question. Yeah. Donald Trump wins. 
He's not going to win. Okay. But in this hypothetical. Well, actually, if like fucking Julian Assange like yeah, pulls yeah. some shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's another. Yeah. It's just like if he does do that. I mean, he could or Russia but, or whoever. Oh, why would he do that? Yeah. It's just, because of power, because of, of history, because people like to make a mark. Mm. I, I feel. But I also don't think that like, I mean, what would it be that could undo? I mean. I, it would have to be something insane. Uh, sex and, uh, scandal. When, I don't even think that would do it. It may. In, really? It may. A because Clinton it, sex scandal? Really? They, like, but they're, they're already they're already pushing that stuff of Bill. Who cares as, about Bill? I know, but but people do. You, I mean, that's yeah. been in the media nonstop of Bill's no, I know, past of course, affairs. Of course. So like, if it came out, this is hypothetical, but like, if it came out that Hillary, I still don't think an, that could turn it. I think there's enough. Well, I think like the whole idea of like women voters, like it's not, again, it's not about Hillary Clinton. Like it's not about her. And I feel like there's this missing narrative of like when she was going through all that stuff with Monica Lewinsky and other affairs, like, I mean, imagine the pressure she's under. It was also a different time in history. I just, I haven't read that article yet. Like, like, come on. Like, I don't know. I just feel like talk about compassion. Like that must've been an awful situation Mm -hmm. to be in. Yeah. How do you think she got through that? I have no idea. I mean, who knows? But, but it just, it just, I have a, that would just be the worst feeling to to have the the, the, the what a personal pri- a personal public split you know mm. I mean I can't even that, on both ends it's not good no it's got to be like really psychologically damaging mm. and like in, in like long term ways I think I wonder because I haven't seen too many clips from her young mm-hmm. but do you think that's what she she has this sort of I think people often comment on her like detached yeah sort of detachment. Right, and I wonder if she built that as a coping mechanism. Back Absolutely, th- back then. I, th- I mean, I don't know. Again, I'm like you. Like I've been, I've had conversations about it. My best friend, who's a who's a reporter in Austin, Texas, um, she was telling this is a me Texas Monthly, yes, person, right? She was telling me she'd um, there was. I, I'm probably butchering the story. Um, I hope not, but I think she was saying to me that um, as a younger woman, like she'd wanted to keep like her last name Rodham and because she was going to be the governor's wife, like they, they made her change her name. And that was sort of when the, the split started. Right. I'm probably, I don't know if you should include no, no. that. Cause I'm not sure. That's no, I exactly. think that's, well, even, even so it's like, yeah. I, I actually think I had that talk with someone yesterday. Yeah. About something similar. Yeah. I just feel like I, the more I find out like, and also just all the civil rights stuff she did and, you know, making like the black belt and, and being in Alabama and seeing like, you know, in like african-american neighborhoods like how much people there's like a historical memory passed down through families of like what what she did in that area that is real you know and i mean i mean that was a long time ago and trump is is does not have the it's not like his like his um dedication to public service please i mean it's it's just it just makes me go a little crazy you know a moment did it for me to vote for hillary i mean i was always going to in the face of trump but like to where i felt a little okay with it yeah um is there a speech she gave as like a valedictorian or like it was like her college graduation speech i don't know if you've heard that no it's like a young 23 year old old hillary and and it's it's really great it's so beautiful really i should so i'll I'll send it to you it's so so profoundly beautiful and it's about uh, the last line, I don't want to ruin the last line, but it's about just like fear yeah. and saying like, we have no time for it. That's great. And it's really, really great. Well, it sounds like the stakes haven't changed. Huh? I know. That's exactly what I was thinking. I yeah. can apply. But we also know that to be educated, the goal of it must be human liberation. A liberation enabling each of us to fulfill our capacity so as to be free to create within and around ourselves. The struggle for an integrated life existing in an atmosphere of communal trust and respect is one with desperately important political and social consequences. And the word consequences, of course, catapults us into the future. One of the most tragic things that happened yesterday, a beautiful day, was that I was talking to a woman who said she wouldn't want to be me for anything in the world. She wouldn't want to live today and look ahead to what it is she sees because she's afraid. Fear is always with us, but we just don't have time for it. Not now. But my question was, if Trump does win, mm-hmm. and horrifying... I mean, I think if either of them win, like, I mean, Hillary Clinton is not, like, she is... 
I think like we both we have to hold their feet to the fire if either wins because I think like we still are going to live in this country and they're still going to both of them are going to do things that we don't like and we just mm-hmm. have to continue to be engaged political citizens sure. you know that's what I think yeah but I, I think it's going to be worse if Trump wins but I also think he doesn't have support within his own party so if he does win it's going to be it's just going to be a different narrative you think so yeah I feel I do. like they would rally if he they won, would rally they would, they rally. would rally yeah so my the, uh, but can you imagine that the, the unrest in this country if if he wins like people are going to be furious yeah So I think like that's I don't I don't think he can't win. It's like the (laughs) the people of this country don't want him to win. Like people are on to him. What do you do if he does? Um, I keep making movies. That's what I do. Hmm. And um, does your focus in filmmaking wise entirely shift to? No, I don't think so. But I think I do think that I would probably try to make something if, if he does win. Um, just based on the last with the Never Trump movie, I would try to tap some of those people and say, what do we do? Because they don't like they like they hate him probably some of them more than than the left does. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably would be my move. But um, yeah, because I think I would feel like I have to do something if I if I have the if I have the tools, why not? You know, is that your ultimate way of doing something? Is what do you mean? Making a film? I don't know. It depends. I think like hopefully. Well, I think because I've made films and, and sometimes people watch them, like that's a way to... Sometimes people watch Yeah, them. it's documentary. Yeah. People don't watch documentaries as much, so... Um, but I, I enjoy making them. Is that discouraging when people don't? Yeah, of course. But I also think, like, people find them sometime. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I, I think, like, I think we talked about this before, like, making documentary is very addictive and... Um, there's a rush to it that you don't get. I don't think making a narrative. I think I'm probably going to try to make a narrative yet unless Donald Trump wins next, unless Donald Trump wins. But, um, so I really hope he doesn't win so I can make a narrative next. <laughs> I hope that too. <laughs> and my offer still stands. I would, I'm, I'm going to help. In oh, cool. Yeah. Can. I'm sure I'll need help if I make a narrative next. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. For yeah. Doing it was this. fun. Well, there it is. You can watch Margaret's short film, Never Trump, But Then What, on the New York Times or on our site, TalkEasyPod.com, where we've embedded it. You can also catch The Great Invisible, which we talked about, now streaming on Netflix. No publicists, managers, or agents to thank this week, just Margaret Brown for doing the incredible work that she does and, you know, driving out to East L.A. to do the podcast. Thank you, Margaret. People. If this is your first time listening to the show and you enjoyed it, you should check out our past episodes with folks like Bill and Turner Ross, Kelly Reichardt, Melanie Lenski, and many more. Additionally, if you thought what you just heard was worthwhile, perhaps write a review of Talk Easy on iTunes. Each endorsement, no matter how long or short it is, really genuinely helps new listeners find the show. So thank you in advance for doing that. If you're not currently doing so already, You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting app. If you want to drop us a line about anything, feel free to email the show at talkeasypod at gmail.com. Some of the emails we have received on here have been really, really wonderful. Um, So thank you and continue doing that. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TalkEasyPod, as well as our website, www.talkeasypod.com. Stay tuned on Friday as we'll be releasing our bonus episode with the only repeat guest we've had on, Mr. W. Kamau Bell. It's a really fun, topical conversation about the madness of this election and his place in it. As always, the music in your ears right now is brought to you by Vanilla. Our executive producer is David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Social media by Maria Mayella. The show is produced and edited by Coria Tad. I'm your host, Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy, and I'll see you next week.
The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.